You are listening to Music, Meaning, and Mystery Podcast. This podcast is a pilgrimage to the mystery of music, and I'm glad to have you along. Today we have a discussion with James Berry. James is a Hugan, which is a senior priest in the voodoo religion. He talks to us about his experience with the healing power of music, how music can call spirits, and the primacy of music in voodoo in general. Before we get to the discussion, I'd like to direct your attention to the new logo that's been designed for the podcast. I believe it's more communicative of what this podcast's mission is really about. The logo designer is Kurt Huggins, and I have put his website in the show notes. You can go to his website and look at some beautiful illustrations there. Now with that housekeeping out of the way, on to the discussion. My primary uh, religious path is Haitian voodoo, which itself developed from West African beliefs uh, brought over with enslaved peoples, combined with uh, Catholicism, indigenous beliefs of uh, what is now Haiti and the Dominican Republic through the uh, the Taino people, Freemasonry, uh, Western occultism and esotericism. These things kind of created a really rich melange of different beliefs, just as the island was sort of a crossroads of the world at the time. It became a religious and spiritual crossroads as well. The practice of Haitian voodoo ultimately led to the revolution, producing the the one successful slave revolt in uh, in human history and the first free black republic in the uh, in the Western world, which concluded in 1804. So voodoo was at the heart of all that and has been a constant part of Haitian culture ever since. There's a very fa- famous saying that goes, um, Haiti is 90% Catholic, 10% Protestant, and 100% voodoo. And, and you see that. When you're in Haiti, you can see the influence of voodoo in art, in music, in poetry, in um, even uh, logos used for, say, clothing companies and so on. I have that unmistakable print of voodoo on them. So that's my primary path. I came to voodoo six or seven years ago. I felt a call to it, and I was lucky enough to come across um, hugans and mambos, that is, uh, priests and priestesses, uh, who kind of took me under the wing and gave me instruction. And ultimately, in 2017, I went to Haiti myself and took the Asson, which is um, a sacred rattle. That means you initiate it as a priest. So I am a Hougan Sogwe, which is to say a, a senior priest of Haitian voodoo. What is the goal of this religious path? Ultimately, it is, uh, the, what's at the heart of voodoo is community. And that's a very wide view on community. It's not just the humans that you live with. It's everything that makes up a healthy community. So the animals that we live with and eat, the plants that we uh, we raise and eat, the spiritual principles that underlie all of these things. So it's aimed at balanced, healthy, happy community. The spirits are considered an integral part of that as well. And the spirits represent natural forces. Uh, Metagwe Tolayo is the, is the ocean itself. Uh, Sobo and Bade are the wind and the storm and so on. So it's heavily animistic in which everything is seen uh, or perceived to have spirit, to have life being to one degree or another. And because of that, we can interact with everything. So a rock has a spirit just as a tree has a spirit, just as human beings have spirit. 
and a focus is on keeping a balance between all of these different things and helping create and maintain a healthy community. And that's the role of Hugons and Mambos, which are priests and priestesses. Um, our role is to foster these positive relationships, uh, make the course corrections as time goes on to try and keep things positive. And in Haiti, the Hugon Mambo are who many people go to for healing because most folks can't afford to go to a doctor or it can be a, a financial hardship to go to a doctor. So just as priests in churches at one time in North American history were kind of the heart of the community. They provided spiritual instruction, but also education, social services, and so on. In Haiti today, Hugans and Mambos do the same thing. Uh, but the underlying idea behind all those services and such provided is to maintain and foster these healthy relationships between all the disparate parts that make up our community, be they human or not. If I were to try to encapsulate that for myself in, in, in a word, it would be a harmony. Is, is that fair? That is very fair. Very fair. I think perhaps that's a good touch point between that religious path and music uh, harmony. So give us a bit of an overview of what your uh, religious praxis looks like. And, and then maybe let us in on how music may be a, a part of that. All right. Well, the interesting thing about voodoo, one of the things I love about Haitian voodoo is the fact that it is a religion that is danced and sung in the same way forms of Christianity or Islam or Judaism are religions that are read because they have a sacred text, uh, be it the Torah or the New Testament or the Quran. So kind of the analog there is instead of having a written text from which we draw our inspiration, it's the movement of our body and the lifting of our voices that calls the spirits, that binds us together and unites us as a community. Uh, when we dance communally, we eat communally, we sing together. To look a little bit about what we do, at-home practice is far more sedate and it's quiet. You know, you serve your spirits by making offerings of food or drink or other objects that are amenable to the nature of that particular spirit, uh, but you sing for them at home as well. When we go to a fete, uh, and a fete is what we call the large public celebrations, uh, fets are usually held in honor of one or more spirits, but all the spirits of a particular house, that is a congregation, serves are called to that. So when the ceremony begins, it begins very sedate with what we call the prier catholique, which is the Catholic prayer. Uh, begins with our fathers, Hail Marys, and so on in French. And then there are Catholic hymns that are sung, uh, sung in French or in Creolized French. That goes on for a little while. Then you move on to the next section of the opening, which is uh, a litany of saints and spirits um, in a call and response that goes back and forth. When you get to the end of that section, you move into the prier guinée or the prier afrique, which is the African prayer. And songs begin at that point. And there are songs for some of the oldest primary spirits are sung. And this entire process, this entire opening can take hours, can even take days, depending on the ceremony and depending on, uh, on the participants. When all of this is done, there's been so much singing, so much praying has happened. The fed itself begins. The drums begin to kick in. And we'll come back to the drums in a bit because there's some complexity to the drums. But the drums, of course, begin with, with their beats and their rhythms. And we begin to sing songs for each spirit. And for each spirit, we sing three songs, and each song is sung at least three times. So you're looking at, at singing nine rounds, basically, of music for each of these spirits. And there is a lengthy list of spirits. So once the fet gets going, uh, the singing, except for occasional breaks for people to rest or get some refreshment, it, it can go on until the sun comes up and well into the next day. And the entire time this is going on, it's constant singing. It's constant dancing. 
So uh, when I say it is a religion that is danced and sung, it truly is. The music and the dancing at the very beginning is what's necessary to create what we call Grand Chemin, the Great Road. And that's the road from the physical world into the spiritual. Think of it as a bridge that connects us, uh, the physical world and the spiritual world, to allow the interaction between humans and the spirits to occur. And all of this is based around music and based around dance. What is it about the music that makes it necessary to invoke spirits? Well, with the, um, the dance becomes the primary part of that, the first part. There are different rhythms and different steps that happen with the dance. And the dance becomes a moving meditation in the same way yoga can be a meditation or in the same way some Buddhists have a literal moving meditation where they walk as, as they meditate. And that kind of makes the mind receptive. And then as we sing, of course, we can raise ourselves joyfully. And it's that expression of raw emotion and love for the spirits that, that actually calls them. Think of it as, um, as a lighthouse in the dark. You know, you're, you're in a ship. You don't know where the land is. But when the lighthouse lights up, it draws your attention. It shows you the way to go. And the same way, the songs bring the spirits to us. And the lyrics of the songs are always important as well, because we sing for everything. Uh, we sing for the spirits. Uh, we sing when we need healing. We sing for the things that we need. When we're tracing uh, veves, which are symbols made of cornmeal or other substances that are keyed into each spirit, and they're traced out on the ground to call the spirit. There's songs that go with that. If I'm preparing um, an herbal bath or some other remedy to help somebody with a health problem, there's songs that go into it. So the lyrics of the songs that we sing as well also help kind of keep our mind on what it is we're doing. In the same way that if you're singing a Catholic hymn, asking for the mercy of God reminds you of God's mercy. When we sing a song that has a particular purpose, uh, it keeps us focused on that particular purpose. Kind of the huge central feature of these fets is um, what we call is spiritual possession. The spirits will come and um, we use the metaphor of a horse. We say the spirit mounts its horse, which means the spirit comes and it takes possession of one of the people there so that the congregation can interact with that spirit, speak to it, ask it for advice, make offerings. Um, the spirit can give up blessings and all these, uh, these other sorts of things. And music's at the heart of all of this. There are songs, sometimes spirits will come and they will request a certain song be sung for them, or they may come and they may teach you a song. I have songs myself that I sing that nobody else does because they developed between myself and my spirits and nobody else knows them. Um, so just like a Catholic may come up with a specific prayer, they have a specific method of praying if they want to pray to Mary or a particular saint. For me, that prayer takes the form of a song. And that's not an unusual thing. Songs can also recount historical things that are important. So there is a spirit named Gede Nubo. And Gede Nubo, uh, all the Gede are spirits um, involving death and fertility, you know, the continuity of life. And there's a great song for him where they sing Gede Nebo is a handsome man. Uh, he's dressed in white to go up to the palace. Dressed in white, he looks like a deputy. Dressed in black, he looks like a senator. And normally we would sing this in Creole. But what that song references is a point in Haitian history in the 20th century when people were very, very upset with the government. And Fet Gede game, which is, you could think of it as the voodoo Halloween. You know, it's a celebration of death. It's, um, it's, happens in early November to mid-November, so near where Halloween happens. But the story as it goes was Gede's came, these, these spirits of death, and they possessed many people who all kind of stormed the presidential palace, you know, the Haitian version of the White House. They all kind of stormed it. <laughs> if you can imagine being a, a Haitian practitioner of voodoo and looking out the windows and seeing all these spirits, you're sort of very angry with him on the steps. 
um, it would make quite an impact. And so that song reminds us of that particular event. And because voodoo is a living religion, it grows and it changes and it develops. There's new songs coming out all the time. And the music continues to hold a very important place in Haitian culture. Uh, when the Duvaliers, Papa Doc Duvalier and later his son Baby Doc, uh, were running the country as dictators, there was a forum music that was probably called Racine or root music. And what it does is it takes traditional voodoo rhythms and voodoo lyrics and it kind of modernizes them a bit in the same way that you might get forms of, uh, of rock and roll coming or heavy metal, say, coming out of Ireland, where they put Celtic um, musical motifs into it. You get what they call folk metal. So this, this Racine music was kind of the equivalent of that. And it was actually instrumental. In, uh, in bringing change to government and so on going over the next 10 or 15 years after that. One uh, chief example being a band called Ram, um, which is based in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, and the music they do is Racine music. So uh, when you listen to their songs, you hear kind of a very modern song, you know, island rhythms and so on, and they're singing. And then in the middle, suddenly they jump into a voodoo song and they're singing very familiar uh, refrains towards certain spirits and then they flip back. That living nature of voodoo is reflected in the music as well. And the history of Haiti is reflected in the lyrics uh, to the things that we sing. And there are many different rhythms as well that are played on drums or clapped out or, or beat out. And each nation of spirits, because the spirits are divided into nations, each has its own particular rhythms. Um, the Rada spirits, which are primarily but not exclusively African in origin, have rhythms such as the, the Flavodou, uh, the Daome, the Yanbalu, the Nago spirits, who are Yoruban or Nigerian in origin, have rhythms that are just called Nago, and so on. There's a whole bunch of different ones there, which uh, are back to when we're discussing drumming. But uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of the key there. I guess I guess I want to know if music is simply a means to an end in your tradition, or if there is something about music that is not interchangeable with other techniques that makes it a it makes it necessary to use in order to invoke these spirits in particular. I'd say there isn't anything that can really take the place of music. When you have any society, as Haiti has been for much of its history, where literacy is not extremely common throughout the country, where you don't necessarily have access to television and radio throughout the country, even once those things developed, a lot of shared wisdom and a lot of inherited wisdom is passed on through song and story. And it's very difficult to try and replace those things, whether you're in the context of the Haitian or of Native Americans or um, African tribal people and so on. It, it's just a difficult thing to replace. Music is easier to learn. You know, when we're children, we start to hum and we start to sing. We learn to pick up little songs. We teach our children the alphabet with a song. Uh, something about the very nature of music appeals to us in such a way, gets into us in such a way that it helps us learn and it helps us retain. Uh, so I don't think anything could really replace the position of music. Uh, even in the Haitian diaspora, where they may not have drummers uh, with the training and skill to uh, to drum at voodoo ceremonies, people will still clap their hands in uh, in these rhythms, the rhythms appropriate to the spirits. So that rhythm is always fundamental. The dance, of course, um, follows the rhythm. The music follows the rhythm. So uh, just as earlier on, you'd mentioned harmony uh, as being a way to sum up what we do in voodoo. Rhythm is a central part of that harmony. And we find the same thing when we listen to music. Certain notes resonate well together and they have a harmonious sound, and other ones have a discordant, ugly sound when you combine them. Uh, and there's mathematics, of course, behind, behind music. Whereas it may not be described in mathematical terms in voodoo, the understanding is still there 
that it's an irreplaceable thing and that music itself expresses something in a way that music allows us to access in a very deep fashion. So yeah, I don't think it could really be replaced by anything else. Do you think those particular spirits would come, would come for anything but their song? Spirits can be called without the music, but not in the context of a fet. Some hugons or mambos will call a spirit into their head, which is to say, uh, bring a possession onto themselves, strictly through the induction of trance. Uh, Mama Lola, who was a famous mambo in Brooklyn, uh, she used to sometimes pour a little bit of rum onto a plate and light it on fire and just gently roll it, staring into it to uh, to induce a trance and bring the spirit through. Uh, so there are other ways to access them. But uh, dealing with one of the Lawa, one of the spirits at a fet, is a different sort of thing than dealing with it very, very one-on-one in a personal consultation. In the same way that when you go to a party, uh, you present yourself in a different way than you would if you're just sitting down with a buddy to have a beer. The context, uh, what Wade Davis calls the set and the setting, is important to it all as well. How is music used to heal in your tradition? Voodoo presents an image of the person that's more in line with indigenous peoples around the world than it is with Western science. Uh, We see human beings as having physical, psychological, uh, and spiritual dimensions. And each of those parts of us can be injured. So there's physical injuries, psychological, and spiritual injuries. And the modality to treat them varies. Uh, So if you break your leg, all the essential oils in the world are not going to set that bone. You need the bone to be set and splint and a cast and so on. Uh, In the same way, psychological injuries um, have ways to to be healed and so do spiritual ones. And on those non-physical levels, because music is so expressive, because music is so emotionally evocative, right, it can help push a person towards healing. And that becomes part of a wider modality that will also use plant medicine. They use what we call travai, which other traditions would call magic. We simply call it travai. That just means work. It becomes a piece of the of the overall picture towards health. Uh, we do have a song that's also known as a Haitian folk song called Feo, the leaves. And it's a song that we sing to the leaves or that you may sing when your child is uh, is sick. And part of what the song says is, um, oh, leaves, save me, save me from the misery in my life. Right? I'll run to the house of the hugon. If he's a good hugon, he'll save me from this misery. So in the same way, a faith healer or somebody involved in a healing tradition like that may use prayer. We do the same thing. But for us, instead of a spoken prayer, it's sung and it becomes a song. Uh, So each note becomes part of a prayer. And that's kind of the role that music will fill in it. There's a beautiful song for one of the Loa, Maitresse Ziri Freda. Freda is a spirit who is uh, coquettish, refined, very, very beautiful loves luxury, loves the fine things in life. She can at times be very, very kind and loving, and at other times she can be fierce. And we have a song we sing for her. The lyrics uh, in English, it's just, Urzuli, my blessed Lua, Dambalawedo, it's so hard. I don't eat pineapple. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't eat coconut. Where's all my money? You know, and uh, it's a very, very beautiful song. I'll send you a link to it later on so you can hear it. But there it is, listing off things like pineapple, cigarettes, coconut, things that, that things that are seen as luxuries. And this person is singing to this beautiful, wealthy spirit, I don't waste my money on these things. Why am I broke? Why am I not getting ahead? And that sense of despair uh, that we can have when we're struggling and not seeming to get anywhere with our struggle is very much a psychological injury. You know, it's, uh, it's a form of stress and a form of despair that in Haiti, we wouldn't see that as a physical injury that's, that's worth going to see a doctor over, psychological. 
right? So singing a song like that from Maitreza Zidi Freda is expressing your love for the spirit because you're singing to her, but it's also expressing that sense of despair you have and looking for help. And that, and we serve the spirits, the spirits help us in return. So when it comes to healing, music does have its role to play. And not just on the individual level, but the collective as well. As I mentioned before, that uh, some of the Racine music prevalent today has helped motivate uh, political upheaval or motivate uh, people to push back against the government. So in that sense, it becomes a sort of collective healing where you're trying to improve the lot of a group of people or a country instead of simply an individual and their personal struggles. I think uh, I'd like to find a way to bring this kind of down from the theoretical and ask you if you have perhaps perhaps a story to share about how uh, music was used to to heal somebody or to help somebody, perhaps like a an actual example. I think that would be lovely to hear. Sure thing. So as a hugo, I take on clients. Um, and I consult my spirits and see if the spirits are willing to work with this particular person, if they're willing to assist, and if so, what can be done. Then you consult with your spirits to determine what you're going to do. One person who's close to me was having a very, very bad time in her life. Work was stressing her out. She had a lot of pressures in her family life and her personal life and asked me if I would do a lamp for her. And that's, that's setting an oil lamp. That's, that's what we call travail, what other folks may, may call magic. But you're setting a lamp that's put together for a purpose. And the lamp I was putting together for her, the purpose of it was to help her have the strength to face these challenges, to deal with them, to not succumb to the intense pressure she was under. And as I put the lamp together and I was gathering my herbal ingredients and such that went into it, I just felt the sudden need that I had to sing this song. When I'd mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, save me from the misery of my life. And I sang that song again and again and again for a while. And because we're singing, we're putting our personal energy out there. You know, uh, when you sing, you've got to draw in air. You have to release the air. Your diaphragm is pushing it. There's breath control involved. All of that requires biological energy. And voodoo doesn't make a distinction between one type of energy or another. Energy is energy. So it's seen as the singing is part of what empowers that lamp to do its work. In the same way, praying a rosary helps a Catholic with, with petitioning a saint or petitioning Mary or so on. So I sang my heart out to that lamp. And each day I came back before it and I, I prayed over that lamp and I sang to it again and again and again. The prayers are nice. The prayers kind of set what your intention is. This is what I'm asking spirit for. But the songs become the battery. The songs are what are really, really pushing that energy into it, are really empowering the whole thing. We could think of it as a remote control for your TV. You can push the buttons all you want, but if there's no batteries in there, it's not going to work. And the songs become the battery. The songs are a vehicle, a, a method of transmission of our personal energy into the work we're doing. So I continued on with that lamp for several days. And, uh, and eventually I got a call from a friend of mine who said, things are so much better. I don't feel the pressure at work anymore. Things are easier with my family. Things have lifted. I feel much better. Thank you so much for what you did. Uh, at that point, I could put the lamp out. But for her, that was a psychological issue she was dealing with, uh, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure. And, uh, and using the lamp, empowered by the songs I sang over the lamp, are what helped her. Yeah, thanks for sharing that story. I appreciate that. I'll tell you a little bit more about the songs uh, as you're, as you're uh, mulling it over there. Because the spirits represent different aspects of life and different things in the world around us, all of life is wrapped up in, in this body of spirits we serve. And that doesn't just mean the happiness and the love and the joy and, uh, and prosperity, 
it also includes the uglier side of life, death, mourning, loss, jealousy, anger, even sexuality gets uh, gets sung about. The Gede, who I mentioned earlier, are spirits of, uh, of death and fertility and, uh, and continuity of life there. Many of the songs sung for the Gede are absolutely filthy, like completely filthy in their lyrics. And the reason being, the Gede have died, they're beyond death. What more can be done to them? They're kind of like to tweak the nose of social mores uh, when they show up in possession. Also, uh, they tend to find it very, very amusing that humans are so motivated by sex and our sexuality, but we try to pretend it's anything but. Just like in our modern societies in Canada or in the United States, you can use sell, sex to sell anything, but you're not allowed to actually sell the sex. You know, that becomes prostitution. It's a problem. And to the Gede, it's, it's a source of endless amusement that we're so focused on sexuality and so much of what we do is rooted around those basic primal urges, but we do everything we can to pretend it's not. So I think it's important to remember, too, that these voodoo songs, they cover everything. They're not just hymns. They're also body house songs, you know, uh, the kind of thing that you might hear um, people singing in a strip club or something like that. So there is epiphany and there's apostasy and there is um, elevated angelic music and there is very much bump and grind close to the ground music it's incredibly diverse and that diversity is one of the strengths of voodoo i think to give an example of diversification in uh, nigeria the yoruba people serve a spirit called ogun and ogun is a uh, a spirit of iron he's very, he's a man's man he's a warrior but when ogun came to haiti he subdivided so we have various spirits who use Ogu as a family name now. So you have Ogu Badagi, who is kind of the wise old general, the strategist, right, the tactician. You've got Ogu Farai, who's like the frontline soldier. And these different other manifestations of Ogu, all of whom are expressions of power. But when humans invented flight and suddenly there was air power was a new consideration, a new Ogu started to appear, Ogu Panama, who's a pilot. So the diversification doesn't just present itself in our music, it presents itself in the spirits that we know and how we approach them and understand them. And since each spirit has their own songs, as Ogu subdivides, and now you have an Ogu Panama, songs develop for Ogu Panama as well. And often those songs will reference the sky or reference flying. That wide diversity is, uh, is one of the things that appeals to me most about voodoo. The fact that it doesn't shy away from anything in life, no matter how beautiful or ugly it is, it accepts everything that happens in life as a fundamental part of what life is. And there's a way to, to sing that part of life. Whatever there is in life, there is a song to be sung. You know, and you also learn about the spirits um, through the lyrics of their songs. Now, my better half, uh, she's a mambo, which is a, a priestess. And, uh, and it was one of the, the things I was most impressed that she ever said to me was... Uh, that she was learning so much about the character and nature of, of different Lawa strictly by looking at what we sing to them, the lyrics that we sing. We have a spirit, Erzuli Danto, and Erzuli Danto is the sister of Erzuli Freda, who I mentioned earlier. But whereas Freda is very bourgeois, very in love with the finer things in life, very, very beautiful, Danto, her sister, is more of a country peasant woman. You know, she has a harder life. She struggles for it. She's not covered in finery all the time. She pushes hard. And she's a fiercer spirit because of that. She's the mother of Haiti, and she was the spirit who caused the revolution in Haiti. But when we sing to them, you get a, a sense of difference in their character. 
So uh, I told you about a song for Freda earlier when we were sing- singing, you know, I don't eat pineapple or smoke cigarettes. I don't eat coconut. Why don't I have any money? Songs for Freda often reference her beauty. We have another one where we sing um, uh, Azuli is a fresh, beautiful woman. You know, God will see you as an innocent, right? So that kind of tells us a little bit about the nature of her. But with Danto, we have a song that we sing for that goes, It's the day, you know, my, my blood is flowing today. I will vomit my blood and give it to them. Uh, because Danto is a fiercer spirit. You could think of Freda as being the wealthy city girl. You know, sort of a breakfast at Tiffany's sort of thing. And you could think of Danto as being the fierce, fierce woman out in the country who struggles for life. And because the experience of those spirits is different, their personalities are shaped by that. And how we approach that individual spirit changes. Freda is a Rada spirit, which is to say uh, she's cooler. She's more laid back. She's more relaxed. Danto is a Petro spirit. Whereas the Rada are primarily but not exclusively African in origin, the Petro are primarily but not exclusively New World in origin. So with Freda, there is the memory of a beautiful time before people were enslaved and taken from Africa and brought to the New World. There's uh, a sense of nostalgia for a more beautiful time that is kind of wrapped up in, in Freda. With Danto, there's not that memory. She's a New World spirit. With Danto... What's there is the rage of the enslaved person, the rage at the injustice, the the enragement of what has been done, of families being destroyed, of of people being whipped and beaten in the fields. Because of that, Danto brought about the revolution. And Danto seen very much as a mother, as a very fierce mother, the mother who will protect you, but can catch you upside the head with her sandal before you know what's happening. And we see that expressed in the lyrics that we sing for each one. It's almost like the song is uh, like a mirror of the spirit. So in a sense, looking at the song is looking at the spirit. That's right. When we look at the songs, it teaches us things about the spirits that we're singing to. And like I say, this is one of the wonderful insights that came from my, uh, my better half, who I give love, honor, and respect to. It's been one of her greatest sources of knowledge about the spirits, is, is looking at these lyrics. And I can't look at music the same way um, since she pointed that out point out how much lore and knowledge and information is packed into just a few lines. It's a wonderful insight. And so since that time, I've spent a lot of time trying to collect as many songs as I can, learn them in Creole, uh, translate them into English as well, so I can get a greater sense and, and try and share some of that knowledge. But yes, it is. they are very much a mirror. Um, the songs, uh, the rhythms uh, to which they're sung, the lyrics, all of those things are expressive of the nature of the particular spirit being honored. I'm a little bit surprised, but but not, but not surprised that this is exactly what is going on with with music. There is some sort of contact that's going on, and right. I, and I think by by you know you being so steeped and so well articulated in this tradition that is that hinges on on spirit and telling me confirming that it's a it's a, I have to admit it's a little bit overwhelming. Well, um, have you ever had the experience where you go to a concert and you start to lose yourself in the music and the performance? Yes. The strongest example of that I ever had just going to see a regular concert was Leonard Cohen on the uh, the last tour he did before he passed away. And he sang one of his most famous songs, Hallelujah. And when he sang that song, the entire stage went dark. And Leonard sank to his knees 
and he stayed on his knees for the most for the majority of the song. There was just a single golden spotlight on him, like a shaft of sunlight wow. shining through. And down on his knees, he sang this song until he got to the line. And even though it all went wrong, I'll stand before the Lord of Song. And then he rose to stand with wow. nothing on my tongue. Hallelujah. And there was a sense in that audience, and I spoke to other folks who attended the show and they felt the same way, that we were not watching a poet and singer up on stage. We were watching a priest in the truest sense of the word, um, of somebody straddling the two worlds and taking something from the spiritual world and showing it to us in a way that you can't just access in your regular life. Yes. Um, And my better half, she had a very similar experience at a Robert Plant concert. Uh, which she cites as her equivalent to my Leonard Cohen experience. You know, uh, she said that he was there on stage and, and as he moved and he spoke, the entire performance was wrapped up in not just song, but his movement as well, the spectacle of what you could see on stage. Mm-hmm. And very much a voodoo ceremony runs the same way. There is the movement that we have in our dance. There is the singing and the songs and the driving rhythms of the drums. And we've just spiritualized it consciously in voodoo. Whereas at right. a concert, going to see musicians, it is spiritualized, but unconsciously. I see. There is right. a spiritual movement happening, but nobody intended it necessarily to be a priestly action, yet that's what it's become. If you look up on YouTube, uh, what was his name? The fellow who's saying, don't worry, be happy. Uh, Bobby Darren, I believe it was. Mm. Wonderful video where he's talking about the pentatonic scale. And he's a guest speaker at a neurology conference, if you can believe it. He gets up and he just stands in one spot and he hums a note and he gets the crowd to sing it with him. Then he hops a little to the right and he sings the next note down, hops a little to the left of the original spot, sings the next note up, just showing the audience that when I move, you sing appropriately. And then he starts jumping to places where he hadn't told them what note to use. But because the pentatonic scale is something that we all intuitively understand, the entire audience knew. And now the neurologists uh, who were sitting there on stage were blown away. Here's yeah. a man who's a musician, has no experience with medicine, no experience as a neurologist uh, or a neurochemist or anything like that. And he was able to show a fundamental truth about how we as human beings relate to sound in a way that stymied these uh, educated men of science. Wow. Um, I'll send you a link to the video as well tonight. Um, this is definitely worth checking out uh, with your interest in music. Yeah, it's, it's just there's something going on, and why aren't we talking about it? So I, I guess we are talking about it. <laughs> You're a musician yourself? I am a musician, yes. All right, then I, I want to tell you a little bit about the drums in voodoo, um, because you may find this interesting. Uh, drums, of course, being a percussion instrument. Um, we have different types of drum that are used for different nations of spirit. So with the Rada, the ones who are primarily but not exclusively African, the cooler, more relaxed spirits, their drums are made of hardwood. Uh, the drum skins are made of cowhide that are fastened with pegs. Uh, the rhythmic time signature used is very much a triple meter. Um, they're played three drums, and they're played with sticks. Now with the Petro, the fiercer, primarily but not exclusively New World spirits, Instead of hardwood, their drums are softwood. Instead of cowhide, it's goat hide. Instead of the skins being fastened with pegs, it's rope. A, a double meter instead of a triple, played in sets of two generally and played with hands. So the way the instruments are played are a key to what set of spirits are being served as well. Another beautiful part of it is 
the drums themselves are initiated. The drums are considered priests, and there's a spirit of the wow. drums, Junto, who is invoked through the beating of the drums. Wow. When a ceremony is going on, we salute various things. We salute the four directions. We salute the potomitan, which is the, uh, the pillar in the center of the ritual space, the, uh, the ladder or the tree through which spirit ascends and descends. But one of the things that we always salute very early on are the drums. Because without the drums, without the rhythm, without the music that grows from the rhythm, we cannot create that great road to bridge our world and the spiritual world. We cannot draw the spirits in, not to the same degree. The drums are fundamental. The drums are priests. And because each nation of spirits has its own rhythms, and the drum beats are all polyrhythmic. Um, so for an awful dancer like me, trying to find a beat to follow when, when it's a polyrhythmic uh, sort of thing going on is, is difficult. And I know I've definitely amused some Haitians with my clumsy attempts. But yeah, those drums are priests. The drums are initiated. Drummers themselves um, apprentice for years and years and years to learn all the rhythms and all the different parts they may need to play. And they need to be able to change at the drop of a hat when the presiding Ugar Mambo signals them correctly. We're moving into a different phase of the ceremony. We're saluting a different spirit. They need to be able to seamlessly move from uh, the rhythm and the beats they're playing now into the ones that are now required. But because the drums are being played in groups of two or three, you've got multiple drummers who all need to be able to coordinate this change simultaneously. So you can imagine the sheer amount of skill, practice, and effort that goes into this. And because of that, many drummers themselves are initiated as uh, priests or priestesses. There is a partnership that occurs between the drums themselves, who are initiated in our spirit, and the drummers playing them. Definitely. In this discussion, it's just... It's so huge. I'm I'm gonna have I think I'm I'm gonna have to have you back on at some point when yeah, this is a very vast you've opened up all sorts of doors that I now must go explore in. <laughs> um the songs don't just teach us about the spirits, they have purpose. Um we sing certain songs to draw a spirit in, to bring them in to possess somebody at a fat or to to invoke their presence. Other songs sustain their presence and help keep them there. And then other songs are used to send the spirit away, you know, when it's time to move on to singing for the next spirit, um, or if a spirit is being particularly unruly. And a lot of that functions in, the, you know, the rhythm and the words all matter with that. Uh, to give you an example, when, uh, when I was in Haiti in 2017 for my Konzo, which is the initiatory cycle, uh, we had a celebration at the beginning for the Gede. Whereas the Gede, the spirits of the dead, uh, don't come to an initiation, but we celebrate them at the beginning of it so that they're satisfied. You know, they know they've been included. And a bunch of these Gede showed up in the heads of, uh, of people present, and they did not want to leave. So they had to be grabbed one at a time and sat down in front of the drums so the drummers could beat the right rhythms to, to literally send them packing. Um, and we watched this happen a few a few Gede brought in and, and be drummed away. And then the horse, the person who was possessed, would kind of come to again, come out of that trance, they wondering how they got where they are. And the best part was watching one of the Gede come and slump in his chair, right, with his eyes closed. And, okay, he's gone. Let's get rid of him. And it was actually faking everybody out. You know, he hadn't been sent away yet, but he pretended he had so he could stay and hang around and eat and drink a little more. So we had to bring him back in. But that's one of the powers of the drums. Um, Gerald Gardner who was the, uh, the fellow who founded uh, Initiatory Wicca, 
back in the uh, the 40s and early 50s. And one of his books, I think it was Witchcraft Today, he talks about the effect of drums. And he said when he had first met witches, they told him they could make him feel whatever they wanted to with those drums. And he, he of course, doubted them and said, I, I don't believe it. And they said, will you let us tie you to a chair? And Gardner said, yes, yeah, go right ahead. They tied him to a chair and whatever drum beat they did, they told him they were going to make him angry. And they played some sort of drum beat. Unfortunately, he didn't describe the beat. But he said before he knew it, he was raging and trying to get out of that chair to start beating on somebody. Um, they were accessing the emotionally evocative nature of music and rhythm to, uh, to make him feel what they wanted him to feel. And we, we've all experienced that. Sometimes you hear a song and it lifts you and makes you feel wonderful, like you're floating on the clouds. You may hear another song in a very minor key that makes you feel very sad. You may hear a very martial song like the old Soviet national anthem or some of the, um, the British marching songs that immediately bring to mind, you know, these ideas of courage in battle or going to war. Um, so the fact is, these things that we know in voodoo and these things we do in voodoo with our drums and our songs, they're part of the universal human experience. You know, and whether you're dealing with witches in Britain or you're dealing with um, meditating uh, Buddhist monks in Tibet, or you're dealing with African drums in the Caribbean or in Africa or anywhere else in the world. Um, these are fundamental things that are part of our experience as human beings. Um, and we find, we find that it's everywhere. One thing I always like to say is that on our quest for truth in this world, we can start off with what's universal, things that all people experience, and those are kind of guide points for us. We all experience birth. We all experience love, pain, death. Uh, we all breathe, we all walk, you know, and we all eat, we all sleep. And these things that are part of the universal experience includes music. Even when you get into cultures that shy away from music, like uh, Islam is practiced in its Wahhabi form in Saudi Arabia, where music is, is basically something that's not considered proper. You still find recitations of the Quran um, that use rhythm and certain pitches of the voice and so on that to anybody else would come across as music. I'm not sure what the Islamic justification is to make the difference between recitations of the Quran and, and more secular music. Um, but it's something that we can't hide from. You know, that rhythm is always around us. Even if you live in a city, you can just close your eyes at night and you can stop listening to the individual sounds of cars honking or doors moving or anything and just let it become kind of an undifferentiated whole and you begin to sense that pulse of your city, the rhythm that's going on around you at all times. And that awareness of rhythm is just fundamental to who and what we are. You know, we see it when we watch uh, leaves move as the wind blows through them on a tree. We see it in the waves crashing on a shore, one after the other. Um, it's just fundamental to who we are. Yeah, the heart beats to a rhythm, and when the rhythm stops, the, that's when life stops, right? When the rhythm stops, right? And your heart, what, what's your heart but a drum? Yeah. You know, living inside your chest. And it, it beats that steady rhythm from the minute, uh, the minute it forms until the minute you, your spirit leaves your body. Mm -hmm. That's right. That rhythm is at the heart of life. And that rhythm, to return to what you said earlier about harmony, that rhythm is at the heart of harmony. Traditional closing question. What should people listen to? All right. Uh, well, I'm going to say for voodoo music, uh, the best thing you can do is hit YouTube 
and just search for voodoo music. I look up a band called Ram. That's R-A-M. It's the initials of the founder of the band. He does uh, that Racine music I mentioned earlier, which uh, incorporates traditional rhythms and melodies and so on with more modern musical forms. Uh, it's a uniquely Haitian form of musical expression. Um, that's a really good one to start with. Uh, Bokman Experience is another Haitian band, does similar forms of music, so I recommend them both highly. Um, but beyond just voodoo music, uh, since uh, my way of interpreting your question is going to be to hit it on both sides, I'm going to tell everybody in this world to go listen to Judas Priest. <laughs> um, as far as it boils down, um, I've yet to find a form of music that I don't like, with the exception of country rock. I believe that if there is a devil in this world, he invented country. But, uh, I'm, I'm sure hate mail will flow in if anybody hears me say that. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, so uh, Ram and Bookman Experience are great examples of um, of Haitian Racine music bands to listen to. And uh, and beyond that, you know, I think everybody should follow their heart when it comes to music. We all, you know, I can't remember who said it. I think it was in, a, in an obscenity trial where he said, uh, maybe I can't define pornography, but I know it when I see it. Um, I th think the same thing applies to music. It's we can't quantify what makes a song enjoyable because it's so subjective, but I think everybody should find the music that really appeals to them and just love it. Have you ever met a human being who doesn't like music? It would be a strange thing to encounter such a, such a person. Yeah, Absolutely. To find somebody who doesn't like music. I mean, we all, we all make music constantly. You can sit and talk on the phone and maybe idly you're tapping pen or you're just drumming your fingers on the desk. There's a rhythm. There's a beat to that. We walk and we whistle. We walk and we hum. You know, uh, we use and we use songs in our secular life just the way we do in voodoo, all for purposes. You know, uh, you want your child to sleep. There's special songs to invoke the spirit of sleep on your child. And we call them lullabies. I worked in healthcare for 15 years. And one of the most beautiful things I ever experienced was a Mennonite man passing away. It wasn't his death that was beautiful, but it was watching how the Mennonites treated it. They gathered in the hospital. They turned the lights off. And they lit candles. And they believed that. You know, nobody should die alone. And they all sat around him, men and women, and they held his hand and they softly sang him into this this eternal sleep. And I can't think of a more beautiful way to, to give up the ghost and to leave this world than to the sound of music being sung to you by people who love you. Certainly. God willing, that's how we all go. Amen to that. I am now imagining a world where the musician is valued for the ecstatic virtue of his craft. I'm imagining communities seeking to benefit from this contribution. Communities finding resonance, rhythm, and harmony through song and dance. I'm imagining a world where a song is sung for every seed planted, for every elk slain, for every child born and for every grandmother passing. I believe, I believe, I believe that the world wants to heal and that spirit wants to come home and that it does when we sing.